I'm Dominic Moyo, and in this episode, I get to talk with Will Eckert about our UKC Elite Shed Dog Program and how you can get involved in it with your dog. Hope you enjoy. You're listening to the UKC Hunting Ops Podcast, celebrating hunting dog heritage, competition, and community. United Kennel Club has been the hunting dog sports home for coonhounds, beagles, retrievers, pointers, cur feist, and more for over 125 years. This podcast is fueled by Yukonuba, the official performance dog nutrition partner of UKC. Thanks for tuning in. I'm Dominic Moyo. I am the program manager for hunt tests and field trials here at the United Kennel Club. And today I get the pleasure of sitting down with Will Heckert. Will is a, a very active member in our shed dog program. And we haven't gotten to do a lot of episodes on shed dog, but it's one of our faster growing segments. It's open to a lot of different people from a lot of different backgrounds and a lot of different breeds of dogs. And so I wanted to sit down with him today and kind of talk to him about what it was like getting started in this sport, coming up from it, learning about it and, and having dogs compete in it and, uh, you know, learn about what it would take for any of you guys listening. If you've got a dog that you like to walk through the woods with and find antlers, how you could get into this sport. So, Will, if you don't mind, introduce your, yourself a little bit and give us some of your background in. Um, shed hunting in general and the sport. Okay, my name's uh, Will Heckert. I'm from Southern Iowa. I've lived here my entire life. And when most people think of Southern Iowa, they think of the outdoors and they think of hunting. And I'm no different. I was uh, raised by uh, a family that uh, hunted rabbits and squirrels and raccoons. And then later in my life, I got into uh, you know hunting ducks, hunting deer. And I always wanted uh, a trained lab for a duck dog. And I didn't think that I could do it myself. And so I thought I would buy one. Well, I got to looking at the price of them and decided I could do it myself. And so I started out to train my uh, first dog. And he was just as good of a dog as I was a trainer, which was so-so. And so then when it come time to get uh, my next dog, I started to research and breed uh, bloodlines. And I started reading. And I kind of developed my own training style and decided I'd do it myself. And so I started training for ducks and pheasants. And then uh, naturally being in Southern Iowa, we've always done a little shed hunting, but it's always been just for fun. It's been for something to do in the spring in between the time of ice fishing's over and, and mushroom season hasn't started. And so, you know, we'd go out and find them. And uh, I kind of read some articles about it. And I thought, boy, I can do this with my dog and have something else to do. And so I started in uh, training my dog to do sheds. And I guess, you know, kind of where I'm at today is is history based upon that. Okay. What um what was the name of your first uh your first shed dog? Uh my first shed dog is Pearl. Uh her her actual name is Will's Classy Black Pearl, but she goes by Pearl. And she's the dog that I started out with and and kind of really how I really, really got pushed into the sport and, and the competition part was uh, Pearl was not crazy about noise. And you know it's awful hard to hunt ducks or doves or pheasants with a dog that's not crazy about noise. And so I started her on the sheds and done sheds work, shed work with her and then competition. And then I took her back into the birds and I, I pheasant hunt with her and dove hunt with her and duck hunt with her now. But it, she just needed something different to do to get her mind off of that noise. And once I'd done that and started in with the shed, she, she really come to life and really likes it. I mean, she her probably two favorite things is sheds and pheasants. And I think it's because she gets to move, gets to get out and move. She doesn't have the patient level uh, to sit and wait on the ducks. Sure. I've got, I've got two dogs myself. And one, she's a lot more laid back so she likes the the whole duck hunt atmosphere she's ready to go when we shoot some birds but she's also calm enough to just sit there and be patient and my other one is everything that i asked for which is nothing that i wanted she's just wide open and so <laughs> being being out there constantly moving is 
better suited for her. She'll still sit in the duck blind, but she'll kind of shift back and forward, look around. But, um, you know, it's all about finding what those dogs enjoy and what their their little uh, corner or their little niche is. And it sounds like you did with Pearl. Um, tell me, how old was Pearl when you got her into shed hunting? Oh, I started out, of course, I got Pearl uh, as a puppy and uh, raised her here at home. And then uh, I started working with her and she had all the foundation for, for the, the retrieving, all the, all the, the dummy, all the uh, retrieving work, all the obedience work. And then uh, I just, I just replaced the bumpers with antlers and then started in, in doing that with her. And when I took her to her first competition, she was, uh, she was almost two years old, year and a half, year and three quarters uh, before I took her to her first competition. And I may be a little bit different than than most people because I feel they're ready to go to competition when they're ready. If they're ready at seven months, that's great. If it's two years or three years or one year, whatever, that's great. It, it's whatever whatever their you know their timeline is on their self. So as everybody says, you got to train the dog in front of you. And when I feel that they're ready, that's that's when we take them. So uh, and it did just work out. That's kind of when I found about the competitions. I got to take her to competition too. Perfect. So when you when you talk about your first competition, walk me through, you know, put me in your shoes a little bit for your very first shed dog event with the Elite Shed Dog Series. So my first UKC Elite Shed Dog Series event was in Kansas. And I had attended another organization's shed dog event. So I wasn't new to the competition aspect of it. I was new to the UKC aspect of it. And traveling, you know, eight hours to an event to see people that I'd talked to on the phone once uh, had only been to maybe two competitions ever. And and my first shed competition was my first dog competition uh, because we hunted. We didn't we didn't go to competitions. And so it was it was a little nerve wracking um, to go to these competitions um, and especially that eight hour drive and thinking about it and trying to decide what you was going to do. And then then getting there. And once I got there, the anxiety all left, the nervousness left because it was such a welcoming club that was putting on the event and everybody there was very welcoming. And I, I don't get nervous anymore to go places to events because I know when you go to these UKC events, they're, they're some of the most welcoming events that, that you can go to. And I, I've been involved in different, different things throughout our community. I've been involved in antique tractors and I've been involved in competitive bass fishing and things like that. So I've been in different situations, different places, and I've never been anywhere like going to a UKC event and the welcoming feeling that you get when you go to one. Well, we love to hear that. We definitely strive to have a good welcoming and, and still have that competitive nature to it, have that community that's nice and balanced and is always looking to grow and, and bring new people in. Now, for people who are listening that might not understand or might not know about the Shed Dog Program, there's actually two classes you can run a dog in. You have your working, which is kind of like your entry-level class, and then you have your champion, which is the highest level of competition. When you brought Pearl to our first UKC event, did you start off in uh, working, or was she ready for champion about that time? Uh, I actually started in working uh, more for the aspect of my benefit instead of hers, because I, I didn't think I was as confident a handler as what I could be. And so, like I said, that was my first UKC. And I think I'd been to two other of another organization's events. So my third event ever, I just didn't feel I was ready. So I, I went ahead and entered her in working and took her to a couple, three different working events. That was in 2019 leading into 2020. And then we know what happened. Everything got canceled in 20 because of COVID. So uh, at what I was going to do is I was going to keep her into the working because it was November, my first event. I was going to, I went to an event in Iowa in the spring and was going to go to nationals. Uh, Gideon Fuchs in, in uh, Kansas had convinced me that I needed to go to nationals, that Pearl was good enough to go and I was a good enough handler. I needed to go. 
And so, yep, I'm going. And then everything got canceled. So uh, it's kind of kind of a funny end to uh, my first year. Sure. Now, uh, to reiterate on the different levels of the Shed Dog program for our listeners, for the the main difference between working and champion is the number of sheds a dog needs to pick up. So with the working class, there's five antlers planted in six imaginary blocks on a course about the size of a football field. It might be in the woods. It might be in you know a cut cornfield. It might be you know a moderately covered field or a mix of both. And so for working, the dog just needs to pick up four of the five planted antlers within a 15-minute time period. When you move up to champion, now your dog has to find every antler that's planted out in this course, and the plants become a little bit more difficult, a little bit more technical. Now, when we're talking about plants, uh, I kind of want to use that as a segue to speak with Will a little bit on training. How, How do you go about training for working or for champion on your free time because i know you're not a full-time trainer you're going out there you're you're using what little time you can to work your dogs what does that look like for someone who wants to get into the sport what should they do to get their dog ready for shed dog test well one of the things that we hear a lot from people is i don't have time to train my dog and i find that to be a very hard pill to swallow as you will because it does not take a lot to train your dog if you've got a dog that's willing to work if you've got a breed that's willing to retrieve and it's willing to please you and you've bonded with it you can spend 10 to 20 minutes a day shoot sometimes i spend five minutes a day with my dogs you know just work on simple things but like i said i started pearl out with bird work with obedience work with uh retrieving work and then I just replaced that bumper with that antler doing retrieves. Then I went ahead and I just transitioned that antler out into the yard. And I put two or three out in the yard and take her outside. And I'd give her her command to hunt for the antler. And she would go look for the antler and we'd find him. Then we progressed to a little heavier cover up in the hay field. Then we pro- progressed to a little heavier cover into the waterway. Then we progressed into some woods and some brush. Uh, Personally, when I progressed out of the yard and out of just the easy stuff into where she's actually using her nose and her eyes, I always practiced with five antlers. I never did just practice with four antlers. I always just practiced with five looking ahead. Um, You know, you may not believe it, but I've heard guys say, I think my dog can count. I think my dog knows when it's hit the four and then it quits or it. Uh, you know, I've transitioned from working up to champion and we're used to picking up four and it finds four and then it quits. It don't want to find that fifth one. So I never give my dogs an opportunity to, to learn to count uh, unless they're counting to five. Makes sense. So your format, you're, you kind of, that dog's already got drive to pick something up. You're just kind of planting ant- a couple antlers in the yard, making sure that she'll go around, pick them up, bring them back, want to look for them. Then as you start to transition, you were talking about the different covers and everything. Are you more or less setting up a mock test or are you kind of peppering one specific area so she's finding a lot of success and she's eager to go out and hunt? Are you spreading them out more than what the courses look like for a shed dog test or are you mixing it up? What what does your your setup look like a little bit? So if you if you ever spend a whole lot of time talking to me or if you see any comments that I might make on somebody's post on Facebook, one of the things that I say, and I hope I didn't steal it from anybody else, was train for success. So I always want to set my dog up for success. So even from the very beginning of putting those antlers in the yard where they're easy, where they can see them, obviously smell them. I'm using the, the approved scent on them. And then when I progress, I'm going to progress if I'm going to go to a shed test to a uh, regulation size course. So it just so happens I have one field up here that is fenced off and it is actually within a couple yards plus or minus of being a regulation 50 by 100 course. I take fence posts up. I set courses up in hay fields, in waterways, in the timber. 
wherever I can to, to train. If I'm going to competition, if I'm just shed hunting the shed hunt, I'll scatter them out. I'll take and, and make it more like a real life shed hunt rather than a competition shed hunt because it, it really is two different things. What's your transition like a little bit, you know, from the competition side of it to the actual pleasure shed hunting? Are you, I would assume it's kind of like us duck hunters. If you go on a duck hunt, generally it's almost a golden rule to bring a bumper with you because you don't know what that day is going to look like and you want to be able to do something with the dog. Do you do a little bit of that, like if you're going on a wild shed hunt and you just, you know, bring an extra shed with you so you can toss one or is that frowned upon because you don't want the dog to walk past one, then you drop it, then you're like, hey, you missed it over here. Or what do you do if you're going on a wild shed hunt that you don't do if you're going training? So obviously, you know, from speaking early in the conversation, I, I do more than sheds. I do, I do birds. I do ducks. I do pheasants. I do doves, do the antlers. And these dogs are smart enough to know the difference of what's going on. So when I go and I get my orange vest out and I go to the gun safe and I pull out my gun that I'm going to go pheasant hunting with, Pearl knows what's going on. She knows we're going pheasant. Just like when I start getting stuff out, antlers out for practice or training, get my whistle on, um, get that stuff ready, she knows that we're going to go up and do sheds. And she knows just as well when you load up and you go in the truck and you drive eight hours, you're at a competition. She has a natural switch that she can flip and, and go, you know, she can do whatever she wants to do with you that day. Um, when we're going and transitioning from competition to wild shed hunting, obviously the pace is not nearly as fast. Um, you've been paying attention to some of the, the boards that we've been seeing and, and we've had some awful fast times on some competition. You can't take a dog wild shed hunting and expect them to run that fast and have any kind of uh, life left in them after 10 minutes if they're going to run that hard. So they got to figure out, hey, we're going, we're, this pace is going to be slower, we're going to go easy, we're going to take it slower. And they just naturally seem to, to figure that out. And as far as the training antler, yeah, I'll take a training antler. And it was way more important on those first hunts when they're starting to pick up their first wild shed. And I usually hunt with a partner and I'd keep that training antler in the pickup. And I'd tell him, you know, we haven't found anything today. Slip back to the pickup and go out in that uh, cornfield and throw that to the left of the, of the corn row be between the road ditch. And we're going to walk her through there and let her find an antler and be successful. So everything that I try to do, I try to set it up to be successful so that they can find it. And, you know, you find your first wild shed. If you see it before the dog sees it, let the dog find it. Walk that dog around and let them, let them be successful and find that antler. It's so important for them to pick up those wild sheds. Absolutely. Now let's, let's talk a little bit about your transition from from working to champion because i do know there's there's a good number of people in the shed dog community who do bypass working their dog's ready for it they move straight on to champion and so if somebody's listening and you know they already go out wild shed hunting with their dog and their dog knows how to pick up antlers and they go you know maybe maybe i just go on to champion what's your transition like from working to I think uh, I think one of the biggest transitions is remembering that fifth antler. I think sometimes people get to where they don't remember that there's five, and they really push and get four, and then they waste a little time looking for that fifth one because they they kind of forgot about it. Um, you know, the the actual transition, if you know, like me doing working, moving up to champion, I didn't think the transition was was hard. Um, some of the plants, like you said earlier, may be a little bit more technical. Uh, obviously in the champion class, you can even, uh, partially cover up to three antlers. So you may run into that situation where working, they weren't maybe quite, quite as hard of a plant. Uh, so maybe your time does run a little bit longer. And I don't, I don't like it when people get discouraged when they go to champion because they'll see some of these, these handlers that's been doing this since the inception and they'll see them running a minute 30, a minute 40 two minutes and and these people that are just starting out they may run a five or six minute time and they're they're upset because they didn't run two minutes 
that stuff doesn't happen overnight. It takes time for the dog to figure out what's going on and you to figure out what's going on. And so it's just a lot of it is just do it and everything will fall into place and all the speed and the faster times of stuff all fall along with it. It's like that adage, uh, slow is smooth, smooth is fast. Just slowly getting the, the mechanics exactly. down. And exactly. The more familiar you are with it, things just kind of progress through that. Let's, uh, yeah, and it's that's something that I. Yeah, I was just going to say that's something that that you see is uh, just trying to get through the courses and and sometimes people will get, like you say, a little scatterbrained and not remember where they're at. So if they just slow down and things go smoother, things just go easier and better and then your times progress from there. Let's um, let's talk to talk to the listeners a little bit about, you know, coming to your first shed hunter maybe it's not your first what what's some of the the advice that you have from the second you pull into the parking lot or the second you pull up to the headquarters for an event what are some things that you're constantly keeping in mind that might be overlooked to somebody new to the sport i think sometimes people have a tendency to pull themselves away from everybody and want to stay with their truck or their vehicle with their dog and not make friends and that can be one of your biggest mistakes. You're there for fun. You're there for the competition, but you're, you're there to meet people. And like I said, this community of shed dog people is, is such a welcoming, welcoming uh, group of people that you need to get out and you need to meet people. And if you have questions, I tell everybody, if you have questions, ask them. There's not a dumb question. And I mean, we've, we've been told that since we were kids. If you got a question, ask. And it, it's true in these dog sports. You go up, hey, where's this? What do I do here? Where do I go here? You know, can you help me? Yes. Uh, yeah, this is what you need to do. Uh, one of the things that uh, took me by surprise, and it may take a newcomer by surprise, is you go up to the running order of the board and you see names like Pearl, Kate, uh, Pixel, Tundra, uh, uh, and you're going, who's that? Well, it's dog names. It's not people's names. So now you're having to learn which person goes with which dog. And that seems to make things even more fun because now, oh, geez, I know who Tundra's owner is. And I got to talk to, to Tundra's dad or I got to talk to Pixel's mom or, or something like that so that you, you, know, you get to be around these people and you make, you make friends quite well. Uh, and easily within this community, but never be afraid to ask anybody. And that goes, that goes along with your judges. And that's something that I always did. And people really act surprised when I tell them this, I'd get done with a run and I'd say to the judge, what'd you see? What did you see that I didn't see? Okay. I, I, I run a five minute time and boy, I think I should have been faster now. What did I do? What did I do something wrong? Can you give me some advice to help me speed up? What, what, what could I do? And and I do hear that when I judge that some people will ask that. Some people don't think about it, but a lot of people will ask, well, what'd you see or what'd you think? Well, you know, I think you walked around and around in circles in block one after you'd already found the antler. You know, you didn't get into block two, three or four or whatever the case may be, whatever piece of advice. But that judge walking behind you can be a great source of information. And there's not a one of them that won't help you and give you some information on your run when you're done. Sure. A lot of... Uh... A lot of our judges in the sport are extremely well experienced in it. They've been doing it a while or or they've just seen a lot of things from judging. And that does make them a really good resource. And especially given the nature of the sport, you know, the gallery's not really getting any if even a minuscule look at the course or at dogs running or how you're handling the dog. And so they're not a good resource to ask, hey, what did I do wrong here? And no one else is really walking with you other than maybe a shed planner. So if you don't reach out to a judge after your run and say, hey, you know, I know you got another dog coming. I, I won't take up too much of your time, but I'd really like to discuss my run with you if you got a minute when you're done. A lot of those judges would love to do that with you. And they'd have really good insight to help you improve that you wouldn't be able to catch. And really no one else is going to know how your run went besides them. So that's that's really good. Uh, Really good advice right there is to use that judge as a resource. 
Yeah, one of the one of the well, the first two judges that I was really around a whole lot that I asked those questions to uh, two big names in the sport, Jeff Rada and Norm Henderson. And I, you know, I got done with the run. Jeff, what did you see? Oh, you know, you could have done this. Or that. I said, Jeff, don't don't mess with me. I follow the sport. I see your name. I know how well you run. Tell me what I did or didn't do. And Jeff and I instantly become friends at that that minute. And uh, Norm Henderson was another one when I first started. I'd be like, Norm, what do you what do you see? What do you think I should do? Well, I don't know what you could have done better. You know, you run this good a time, and I, boy, I'd be happy if I was you. You know, or, or Norm would say, well, you know, maybe you should have done this or that. And so those two guys really helped me right off in the beginning. And and I've always remembered that, and I always try to help people uh, when I'm judging if they have questions and and try to reciprocate. Uh, the information onto them that that Norm and Jeff helped me with. Sure. Now I do want to to segue and continue to progress down the down the line, if you will, about you know we've got Larking, we've talked a little bit about Champion. Now let's talk about one of our upcoming events that's that's happening towards the end of March here, the Shed Dog Nationals, right? So you've been a Shed Dog Nationals judge, you've been there a few times. What is your experience for nationals? Kind of paint the picture for some of our listeners about what it's like to go there as a competitor. It's uh, it's absolutely the best of the best. Everybody that's anybody is going to be there. Um, the best dogs in the country and Canada are going to be there. We have competitors from Canada now. The sport has grown so much. Um, you know, we've got clubs from coast to coast, uh, Canada to Florida, I believe, and Texas. So it's not like you're going into a regional event or a regional tournament. This is a national, and I guess we could say an international event at this point. Um, it can be nerve-wracking. Um, you need to go in with the idea that I'm going to go in and make three clean runs as fast as I can because it's an average and uh, go in with a good attitude, go in prepared, make sure you've been training and traveling and got your dog ready to go and uh, enjoy yourself. Go in and run your runs, run every run like it's the best run you're ever going to make and the chips will fall well they may and uh, we're going to crown a national championship. Yeah, absolutely. I, one of my favorite things about national is the, the youth. We, we've got a pretty robust youth program within the sport. And so there's there's a lot of young kids out there, um, and Shed Dog National is kind of brings all of those kids together. I think last year we had we had near 20 youth competing, and so being able to see the future of the sport's pretty neat. So that that's personally one of my favorite things. And I think didn't you judge some of our youth a couple of years ago? So I I have been there as a competitor and as a judge. So I've judged uh, I judged nationals last year. So I did get an opportunity to judge working and and the youth. What uh, what what did you enjoy the most about those uh, those kids? Uh, I tell you what, there's uh, there's not a bad kid in the whole group. But there's kids that stick out in your mind. Um, Emma Selby from Missouri um, at Nationals two years ago, her and I hit it off. And uh, she actually gave me a bow to wear in my hair for Nationals. Um, Emma always wears a, a hair bow. And uh, so I wore that clear through Nationals and her and I become friends um, over that. And then to be able to watch her progress as a, a handler through the youth and do so well uh, was so great uh, two years ago. Last year, judging, uh, of course, we had wet conditions, and uh, two kids that stood out in my mind, and, and I, I mean, I'm sorry if I'm naming names and not naming other names, but the two kids that really, really left a mark on me uh, is the two Meadows boys. Uh, it was muddy, it was wet, it was deep, and I was telling Zach Meadows, I said, Zach, I said, uh, I'm going to follow you. I'm going to stay as close to you as I can. It's wet. It's muddy. I said, people have been falling down. Be careful. And I said, we'll, we'll get through this and, and have a good fast run. And uh, the young man turned and looked at me and he says, Will, I'll take care of you. You don't worry. He says, 
You say retrieved. He says, if you're not right with me, I'll hold on to the antler. He says, we'll get it done. We'll take care of it. And I said, okay, thank you. And he went and he had a, he had a good run. And then his, his brother Roger come in and uh, he's got a little dog named Belle and he calls her Stell Bell. And uh, it's funny because he comes in and he gets her to the line and he takes the leash off of her and he, he clips the leash and he hands it to me. And I said, did you want me to carry that, Roger? Yes, please. And so I threw his leash over my neck and uh, he stopped right there on that line before we got ready. And he gave his dog a hug and a kiss and he talked to her and told her how much he loved her and let's go. And I'm not going to lie, choked me up just watching him interact with his dog. And then we took off and they, they had a good successful nationals too. So, uh, you know, you get these kids that touch you, uh, you know, not only with their good runs, but with their dogs and their personalities. And, and it's, it's, it's fun. It, it really is. Yeah. There's, there's such a, good young young men and young women in that uh that program and uh, it's so exciting to see them evolve as handlers as well you know um one of our judges for this year's nationals zoe rada jeff rada's daughter she came up through the youth program she's been a competitor for years and here she is judging nationals so it, it's it's something special to see how much of a mark this sport has on everyone involved, but especially the youth. Well, I think uh, if I remember correctly, Zoe may have been the very youngest judge uh, when she got her judges card from the beginning. I mean, she went after she went through the youth program and then got to be old enough. I think she may have been the youngest person to have her card. And you may think it's funny. She's got more experience on a course than I've got. And I've asked Zoe questions. I've judged her and asked her a question afterwards. Why did you do that that way? And well, you know, I've done it because of this and that. And I'm like, oh, okay, I see why you've done it. I was watching it, but I, I watched it. I thought I knew why she'd done what she'd done. And then she explained it. And I'm like, yeah, that's perfect. Makes perfect sense. So you can learn something from, from everybody. And that's, like I said, you know, to go back to don't be afraid to ask somebody a question. Alan, I know we both have new Daltra Pathfinder 2s. How are you liking yours so far? I'm liking it. I've even had the opportunity now to use mine where I didn't have service, where I download uh, the map of that area, and uh, it works flawlessly. Love it. I agree. I really like my Daltra Pathfinder 2 as well. I've used it quite a bit the past few months. I really like the crystal clear maps. I like that it doesn't lose uh, service very much, and I, can't have, I don't have many bad things to say about it at all. Dogtra Pathfinder 2, the official GPS collar partner of UKC. Now, from the judging aspect of it, you know, you've seen a lot of dogs run, not just nationals, but in general. I think one of the really unique things about the UKC shed dog sport is how welcoming it is to all breeds. You know, it doesn't matter if it's just a lab, which prime, a lot of the dogs in the sport are, but there's so many others that it's just a dog that loves to hunt. It loves to retrieve and it's found a little niche. So there's, you know, there's shepherds, there's healers, there's border collies, there's cockers. There's a lot of different breeds in it. And so it really highlights the, the fact that the sport is obtainable to a lot of individuals and um you know something i i always find that's even more neat is a lot of the community and the nose work sport find good parallels in shed dog and it you know we started off talking about how you know i have two dogs one's a lot more laid back in a, a duck blind the other one really wants to be doing something and so if people are listening and they're like yeah i like to do nose work but you can tell my dog wants to do something more, be more active, move more, hunt a bigger area. You know, shed dog might be that sport. Um, what advice would you have for somebody who is starting off with, you know, a, a non-lab or a non-retrieving breed? Do you have any advice for them on how to get their dog involved in sheds or have you seen dogs that were a little bit reluctant to pick up a shed at first and people work through that? 
Well, like like you say, we've we've seen all kinds of different breeds. Uh, you know, there's some breeds that have uh, been in the sport that are smaller dogs. I can't even tell you the the name of the breed. They I asked and they told me, but I I don't remember what they were. Um, and then, like you say, the transition from some of the nose work stuff, even dock diving stuff. This is such a crossover sport that that you can you can do just about anything. Uh, you know, with these dogs. And make your dogs multi-purpose. I mean, we've got people that do, like I say, scent work, uh, fast cat, dock diving, hunting, all these different things. And as long as you've got a dog that wants to please you, wants to be with you, and has a nose and will retrieve something to you, that that's all you really need. And you can you can start out with your training scent on your bumper or your ball or whatever their favorite toy is and transition into that antler. Uh, with the scent and then start hiding the antler and be very successful with it. Uh, we had a border collie that uh, uh, is in the Hall of Fame, what uh, uh, elite champion Hall of Fame uh, border collie. You know, when that happened, everybody's like, geez, that's that's really something. And, and Kelly done a great job with Monty and and has really got him, you know, got him up and going good. And that's the way it is with uh, all these dogs. If, if you've got a desire to work with them and they've got a desire to learn, there's no reason you can't take any dog that will pick something up and bring it to you and make them a shed dog. Absolutely. Well, we spent a lot of time talking about the competitive side and we're only briefly touched on wild shed hunting. Um, I want to know when, when is the best time? I know a lot of it's regional, but if you had to give some sort of blanket statement for those people that might be listening, like our coon hound guys that are in the woods a ton or our beagle guys that are also out there, what would you say is the best window for them to start keeping their eyes open for some bone? Well, that's that's funny because we've been seeing reports from uh, Christmas on of uh, deer losing sheds. And uh, I've got a camera out and I can't get to it. The snow's too deep. Uh, and I'm kind of old fashioned. I don't use the cell cams. I still use the cards because it gives me something to do to go pull the card and look and, and see what's going on. So, I kind of try to keep track of it that way. Plus, you know, driving back and forth and watching for deer losing, losing antlers. But I would say primarily here in Iowa, uh, you know, February, uh, mid-February, Valentine's Day from then on, to, you know, through the spring. Uh, but we have guys that will find antlers all year round. Uh, I've got a really good friend that, that coon hunts. And when he's training in the fall, He'll uh, he'll show me a shed that he's found and uh, he'll find him in the spring too. you know, find him out uh, where he's been been coon hunting. But uh, I would say primarily here, Valentine's Day on through spring would be a good time to start looking. Most of the guys are they're very serious about doing shed hunting and shed hunting has gotten way more serious than it used to be. They're all running cell cams. They've got them on food plots and stuff. And they, they pretty well can tell you, you know, within the hour when their target bucks and, or when the bucks they're watching are starting to lose their antlers. Okay. Now for someone like myself, I've been out in the woods. Some, I found a couple sheds here and there, but what's your advice for a guy like me? That's mainly a duck hunter that my dogs do like to retrieve and do like to, to hunt. What, what should I be looking for? Should I be, scanning just as hard as my dogs are should i be looking for something bright or am i going to end up going to every single twig i walk by or what, what's your advice for someone who wants to get into the sport well we we all go chasing after that corn stalk that looks like an ant was sticking up from the highway that's for sure and you see the sticks out in the timber that look like sheds but um i still find sheds on my own the dogs find sheds. I feel like the dogs find the ones that I don't necessarily see. Um, my ground that I have to hunt is a lot of alfalfa fields, hay fields, uh, waterways, small little blocks of brushy timber. Um, I don't have a thousand acres that's being managed for deer. Uh, there are people that have that, that have the food plots to hunt, that know exactly where the deer are traveling to and from. I am not that way. I've got farm ground that we're, we're haying and, and we're running cattle on. And, you know, one of the biggest things for me is to get out and get through all the alfalfa fields with the dogs 
so that when it comes time to spread fertilizer, bale hay, that we're not running antlers through rear tractor tires and uh, ruining those plus being being down. So, but you know, you've got your typical spots where the deer jump the fence. You've got your typical spots where they bed in a waterway or a cedar thicket, uh, places like that, places where they cross creeks and, and jump over creeks. Um, you know, I found a couple antlers last year um, in an alfalfa field right out in the, the wide open. One of them I seen because I was driving along the edge. The other one I had Kate, which is my middle dog. I had her out and we were quartering that field. And I seen her spin just as hard as you could see a dog spin and reach her head down and pick it up and turn. And it was almost like she was smiling at me. And uh, I hollered at her to, to bring it to me. And she come and, and brought it to me. Um, you know, I seen her pick one up out of a fence row that I probably never would have seen because there was enough tall grass, like canary grass, waterway grass along the fence row. She walked by, spun, turned, and picked it up. I would have never seen that one. So out of the three that come out of that field that day, I seen one of the three. So those those dogs are picking up those antlers that we're not seeing. And they, they can cover so much more ground than we can cover. But we still need to have our eyes open. Some guys use binoculars. I take binoculars depending on the day. Uh, but one of the things I do really like is uh, I can send them dogs across a ditch. I can send them over on a little hillside and let them work a hillside. And I don't have to try to figure out how I'm going to get down across that ditch and up the other side. And I'm pretty confident enough that if I send two dogs over there to run that hillside and they come back with nothing, there's nothing there. Just go on and go to the next spot. So all those, all those spots, all the food plots, if you've got access to them, you know, your bedding areas, your waterways, CRP is a great place to find them. I pheasant hunted the, the last weekend and I'd never seen so many beds in CRP. And I will definitely be back to that spot uh, to check for antlers here as soon as the snow goes off. So all those kinds of places and you'll, you'll find antlers. Have you ever, you know, hearing you talk about uh, how you kind of wild shed hunt, have you ever been out on a pheasant hunt and one of your dogs picked up a shed for you? I feel like there has to be the chances of it now. So yeah, a couple of years ago, we were hunting a piece of public ground, Pearl and I was, and it was some pretty tall, thick canary grass where the area we was in. And she she stays within gun range. And I seen her make a hard turn. And so I took a couple quick steps to get ready. And she was putting her mouth on a, a big deadhead, uh, been an EHD deer or something that had, had died. And so I picked it up and, and uh, well, she couldn't, it was still attached. It was still all attached to the, the skeleton and the backbone. She couldn't get it. So I got it ripped off of there. and then called the DNR officer and talked to him about it before I, before I took it. But, uh, and then this, uh, this, this fall, uh, we were hunting and this area has gotten hit hard by EHD this year. Um, and we were going along and I had Kate and she made a hard turn and, and I thought, well, that was, that was a different turn than I was expecting. And I took a step and, uh, she reached down and picked up a little spike that uh, I'm assuming was an EHD deer. And he, he separated right away and she picked it up and I just left it. It, it still had some hide yet on it. it. It didn't smell the best. So I just, I just left it for her. So we've picked up some dead heads. Um, I've never had one of them pick up, you know, just pick up an antler and, and bring it to me, but I, I know it does happen. I've heard guys talk about it and everything, but. Yeah. So I do want to ask you, because um, it's something I've heard, and again, I'm not heavy into shed hunting myself. I do it on occasion or go for a spring walk through some of our game lands. But what are your thoughts on, and have you ever heard of people talking about balloons? Have you ever heard that? Like wherever <laughs> yeah. a balloon is in the woods, <laughs> yeah, I have. What what do you? So what I hear yeah, is, and... if you're walking in the woods, you want to either set up a stand near where there's a balloon. Or if you stand on a balloon you find in the woods and look around, you will find a shed. How much truth of, is there to that? I I have never picked up a balloon uh, when I've been shed hunting or mushroom hunting or anything like that. I have seen some videos and stuff on, on Facebook and TikTok where they talk about um, the balloons. And I can't remember what the exact theory is. If it's something about that balloon falls there and that's supposed to be a good area to 
for the deer to travel or bed or something. But there is some kind of a wives' tale about balloons. The thing I heard, and there could be so much hearsay, but I always hear it has something to do with low pressure. That's where the balloon settled. It's an area of low pressure, and deer like to stay in areas of low pressure. And I don't know. I think I think there needs to be somebody with <laughs> with more subject matter. Um, expertise to speak to the, the effectiveness of it, but I didn't know if while you've been in the woods, if you found any truth to that, because every time I walk through the woods, if I see a mylar balloon or something tucked off to the side, I'll stuff it in my pocket and I'll sit there and just scan intently. And I'm like, they say it has to be something here. Yeah. And like I said, I knew there was some, I just couldn't remember what it was, but we, we have more uh, pieces of silage bags blowing around our country than we do mylar balloons. So uh, everybody does a lot of ag bagging here with silage or corn or hay. And so you have more pieces of that. And we tend to pick up stuff like that when we're out shed hunting if we find it. But uh, yeah, that'd be a great theory. If that was the case, we could get our binoculars out, scan for balloons and go pick up a truckload of sheds, huh? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, before we close out, I do want to give you the chance to, to bring up any you know, stories you have, whether it's your most memorable shed or your most memorable test with with your dogs. I kind of want to give you the floor to, to bring any of that up. Well, I, I tell you what, I, I think uh, one of my most memorable hunt tests would have been my first UKC hunt down in uh, Kansas. Uh, and like we talked about at the beginning of the show, I was so nervous to drive that far and, and go down there. And then I got down there and and uh, met Gideon and Danielle and their families and had a very good, uh, very good hunt um, and have become very good friends with those two. And uh, that was that's kind of begin the begin been the beginning of my shed hunting career and learning to bond with people. And it, it kind of seems like I got a natural uh, gift for for bonding with people and becoming friends. And and uh, I've got friends all over all over the United States. Um, so that's and Canada. So that's that's one. But probably my second uh and maybe it's for maybe it's a tie, I don't know. Um Nationals twenty twenty two uh went in and, and after the first two runs I had two dogs in the top ten, Earl and Kate both. Um then we went to the banquet and uh, I didn't know about that's where I was at till the banquet. And then uh went to the banquet, won ambassador of the year. Um, which in my mind is the most important award that we have uh, because it's voted on upon by our peers. And uh, very emotional to, uh, to get that award, very emotional to have two dogs in the top 10. Uh, and then the next day to try to finish off our third run, I literally had to shut my phone off and put it in the truck because I was getting phone calls and texts from across the United States, people that weren't at nationals congratulate me, want to know how things was going. And uh, when it was all said and done, I ended up with two in the top 10. Pearl ended up fourth and Kate ended up seventh, I believe. We just didn't quite have the win that day. But uh, very, very emotional weekend. Uh, it was probably, you know, one of my one of my all time favorites, if not my actual favorite, uh, favorite memory of, of uh, the shed hunting. Now you've mentioned Pearl and Kate. Um, are those your go-to two dogs? If you're going out for a wild shed hunt, you're bringing them as a pair, or do you have a third that you mix in there, or do you hunt them kind of um, independently? Okay, Dominic, I, I did not hear any of that. You sounded like a robot, so if you can repeat that question for me. Sure. So you mentioned Pearl and Kate. Uh, when you go wild shed hunting, are you hunting those two as a pair? Do you have a third dog that you throw a whole trio out there? Or are you hunting them independently? Uh, so I do both. It depends on where I'm going and what I'm doing. Um, but I'll take the two of them and hunt them together. And actually last spring, um, I got a third one. I've got a dog named Belle. And she was too little to really know what she was doing. But she went, uh, she went along too, and she will be going uh, this spring as soon as the snow comes off. She'll start out going to, to her first wild shed hunting. So I may not take the three of them together. I may back down and just have, uh, you know, Belle with either Pearl or Kate 
until I see how the interaction is going to go between them. But all indications is they'll all work fine together. They're around each other every day and, and run and play and mess around. And I've done some training with all three of them together. So uh, probably run them together, but may take them, depending on where I'm going, maybe I'll take one one day, one the next. It'll, it'll just depend what's going on for sure. Gotcha. Well, I definitely wish you all the best of luck. I know I'll get to see you at Nationals if you're heading out there. And if you do any wild shed hunting between now and then, you know, I hope you, I hope you find a, enough to fill a truck bed. Yeah. Well, we're going to have to let some of the snow go off. Right now, you try to take a step and you're, you're knee deep. So it's, it's going to have to have some snow come off before I can go. And I'm sure that we've got some guys that are already out looking, but, uh, it's the snow's too much for me and, and the areas that I have to hunt, uh, you know, it's just not going to work out for a little bit. And, uh, as of right now, yes, I'm planning on being at nationals. I'm not sure what capacity I'll be there in. Uh, right now I've only got one dog qualified. So, but, uh, I'll be there in some capacity anyway. Well, fantastic. We look forward to having you. And I want to thank you again for taking the time to sit down with us and hopefully you know, there's somebody, even if it's just one person listening that was on the edge about getting into shed dogs or even didn't even know about the program that you've helped kind of enlighten them on how to get in it. And maybe we'll see them at next year's national. Well, and that's, that's true. And, and, uh, if we have any new, new listeners out there, uh, you know, one thing, like we said, is don't be afraid to ask questions and don't be afraid to reach out. You can find me on Facebook. You can send me a message. Uh, you can ask at most competitions. Somebody knows who I am, and I will gladly help anybody I can in any way I can, whether it's answer questions, give them a tip, uh, show them something, um, whatever anybody needs, I'm more than willing to, to help. So all they got to do is just get a hold of me. Well, we appreciate you being a resource to, to any of our new members. and. Thank you again for your time. I, I greatly appreciate it. I hope our listeners were able to glean a lot from this. And we, we appreciate all you guys tuning in. All right. Thanks, Dominic. Thank you for listening to the UKC Hunting Ops podcast. Be sure to give us a follow so you don't miss any of our new episodes or content. 